edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball, as we are all back in the same country, the United States of America. Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, Benjamin Hill. Fellas, how are you? It's good to see your smiling faces. I mean, it's good to see your smiling face, too, and and have it be on the same. I was going to say country Wi-Fi, but we don't really share that. Like, true. even that though true. we're in the same country, you are still several hours away from us. That is true. Uh, I'm people- I'm probably uh like if we were to take the same mileage between where I am now where you guys are we'd be like on two different continents over there you know what I mean right. it's so right. weird like when you compare the size of continental Europe it's like oh yeah right everything's pretty close together over here compared to where we just have wide swaths of everything in in the states but yeah you know, we're, I feel we're recording this on an afternoon and it's still morning for you like it's right right in, that's in the same country but like things are true. still a little weird weird but it is good to have you back. Tyler. Let's, thank, let's you. Let me, let thank you thank you that is it is good to be back ben how are you i'm doing all right i'm feeling a little uh introspective today because um september 22nd um oh wait is today the 23rd today 23rd. is the 23rd uh, i got the day wrong but i thought today was the 22nd anyhow 20 years ago september 22nd 2002, I moved to New York City. So, wow. wow, I've been in this city for 20 years. Happy anniversary, man. Yeah. So, that's, uh, you know, there's nothing you can really do with it. I'm just uh, had more or less what constitutes a normal week, but that's basically my entire adult life, uh, those 20 years. And uh, had no idea, like, you know, not unique to me, but I had no idea what I was getting into when I first moved to New York City in 2002. And, uh, it was a totally open book from there. And uh, so the person talking to you now is just what happened to that guy over the course of two decades for, for better, or for worse. Um, but there is some pride with New York City. Um, you know, I, I feel people can be precious about living in New York, but um, it does have its unique challenges. And to stick it out for 20 years uh, through a lot of life changes uh, does make me feel like not that I won. You know, because I'm always like fighting with New York City, like, haha, I'm still here. Like New York City would care. New York City is an uncaring mistress. She does not care whether I'm here or not. But I always feel like, haha, I'm still here. You can't get rid of me so easily. <laughs> and uh, but to what end? Why is it a competition? Why am I always thinking about at what point I became or will become a real New Yorker? What is real? I don't know. We got existential in a hurry (laughs) on this week's episode of the show before the show podcast. Making that 20 years in New York is a pretty big accomplishment, man. Congratulations. I'm very, I'm pumped for you. That is really cool. 20 Um, years ago, uh, I'd known that uh, I'd last 20 years and that I'd be doing a minor league baseball podcast over Zoom. Who could have predicted? You would have said, (laughs) what is a podcast and what is a Zoom? Yeah. Hopefully you wouldn't say, what is minor league baseball? Hopefully (laughs) you would have known at that point. No, I didn't know. I thought it was just major and nothing else. I didn't even (laughs) learn about minor league baseball until 2005. See, all all the things you can learn in 20 years. That's true. It covers a wide scope. Um, Well, wherever you found us, thanks for tuning in on this week's episode of the show. Before the show, we got a lot to get to. You can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. Sam is on Twitter at Sam Dykes or MILB. Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, we're going to dive in and talk about uh, some fun stuff that we've got from Ben, whose most recent road trip we talked about last week. 
of course, but there are some great stories uh, on the site right now, two of which are about a couple of members of the Erie Seawolves who have some great stories. Double-A uh, Erie catcher John Rossoff and Double-A uh, pitcher Yasin Shentuf, who's got a fantastic nickname. Uh, and Ben, tell us about these stories. They're they're both really cool pieces. Yeah, well, I was in uh, Erie a couple of weeks ago as part of my last ballpark visit of the season, UPMC Park. And uh, as we're talking right now, the Erie Seawolves are in the Eastern League Finals uh, for the first time in their existence, they were established as a New York Penn League franchise in 1995, moved up to the Eastern League in 1999, and um, never won a title and never even made it to the finals until this year in 2022. So uh, having met some of the players and uh, recently visited the city and the ballpark, I feel you know a little more connected to this particular uh, playoff run than I do due to most. And uh, game one of the finals is taking place Saturday. It was originally scheduled for Sunday, but they moved it up a day because of the weather. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, Erie versus Somerset, uh, Somerset, New Jersey, central New Jersey. So when I was in Erie, I got to know two of the players. You know, I'm always digging around for stories. I leave the prospect analysis to my more uh, prospect analysis inclined peers, such as the esteemed uh, uh, Mr. Sam Dykstra. But, you know, if a player has an interesting story and I get wind of it, uh, I like to write about it. So one guy is uh, Yaya Shentouf. And his, uh, his real name is Yasin, Y-A-S-I-N. And he said that he's had the nickname Yaya for the entirety of his baseball playing life, which goes back to when he was about seven or so. And uh, that is because um, he talked a lot and his coach in you know youth baseball said that he reminded he brought to mind the Sandlot character, Yeah, Yeah. And they just started calling him Yeah, Yeah. And, you know, this childhood nickname is now stuck for the entirety of his baseball life. And Yeah, Yeah, um, you know, sometimes he closes games. I think he had seven saves during the regular season. He's listed at 5'9", is probably shorter than that. He's a 36 round draft pick. Um, you know, he's not too high on the radar in terms of, you know, Detroit Tigers pro uh, top prospects, but he's been a really solid reliever. Um, he's like a little fireball guy, has a, has a lot of energy. And, uh, you know, he's known, uh, his teammates know him as a guy who talks too much in general, but also a guy who probably interacts with fans too much. And he says, you know, I will talk to anybody anytime about anything. And sometimes it annoys my teammates, but he's a huge fan favorite in Erie uh, because he will give anyone the time of day. The bullpen there at UPMC Park is right in the left field corner with a walkway you know, up against the fan walkway. So it's very easy to interact with them. And, uh, you know, I just like to get to know these kind of guys who, um, you know, you might not hear about in the prospect prospect sphere, but I heard, you know, doing really well at double A and you never know what could happen. And, um, you know, really a lot of connections along the way. So if you're going to be following the uh, Eastern League Championship Series, keep an eye out for Yaya Shantouf, um, a reliever, and also John Rossoff, a catcher. Uh, he's a reserve catcher. And uh, I wrote a story about him as well. That's on MILB.com. Uh, John Ross went to the West Point Terry Academy, um, played baseball there, became a catcher uh, in college. He had not played catcher until he was in college, uh, signed with the Detroit Tigers as an undrafted free agent, made his professional debut in 2018. And then um, at the same time, he graduated and essentially signed with the Detroit Tigers. He also was commissioned as a uh, an officer in the Army. So his entire professional baseball career has been in tandem with him being an active duty military officer. And one of the ways he was able to juggle this is by enrolling in a program called uh, WCAP, 
um, world-class athlete program run by the army in which your job in the army becomes, you know, training for, to be a world-class athlete. In this case, his goal was to make the uh, 2020 Olympic team. He made it as an alternate, ended up not actually on the active roster, but, um, you know, really unique situation to be an active duty military officer, to be spending his off seasons, you know, at Fort Benning or at Fort Carson, um, to be in the WCAP program, to be trying to make the Olympic uh, team and playing minor league baseball in the Detroit Tigers organization. Uh, a lot going on, a unique path. And, uh, you know, he made the analogy, maybe it's kind of obvious, but I think it's worth saying, you know, he's, you know, he's a leader now in the military. And he said, you know, leading a 35, 40 man platoon is a lot like, you know, being a catcher for a ball club and that you have to, uh, you know, rally the troops and you're the one who who kind of knows what's going on the most on the field. And you have to know what makes each individual guy kick or tick, you know, whether they need a kick or, you know, uh, or a pat on the back or whatever it is, you know, it's as much uh, psychological as it is physical. Um, so for him to bring those uh, military skills into minor league baseball and vice versa, I think is an interesting story and, you know, really nice guy. And, uh, you know, I'd like to champion the underdog when it comes to the minor league baseball playing field. And uh, John Rossoff and uh, Yaya Shantouf on the Aries Seawolves, who might just win a championship. And, you know, I cover all of minor league baseball. I don't like to show rooting interests. I really enjoyed Somerset when I visited there uh, last year. Uh, fun ballpark, great front office staff. So, you know, I'm not choosing favorites. But I, I just feel a little bit connected to Erie right now. And I'm I'm trying to just amp those neutrality levels up as high as they can go. And uh, and not be biased whatsoever. Well, it sounds like you might be setting a precedent here, Ben. Of if people want or if teams want postseason luck and, and postseason fortune, they should have you to the ballpark like just before the playoffs begin. Uh, it seems to be working out for the SeaWolves so far. Um, real quick, you had another story from that trip uh, from Rochester. Now, a lot of us grew up doing yard work with our parents, but that never became a professional thing. Uh, it seems to have done so for the Red Wings, who have a father-son pair working the ground school, right? Yeah, I got a story about uh, Gene and Gino Buonomo. I hope I'm saying that right, B-U-O-N-O-M-O. Um, this story came about, you know, after I visited uh, Erie, I went on to Buffalo and then ended my travels in Rochester. And when I was, you know, poking around, uh, trying to think about things I might be able to write about in Rochester, I was just looking at the Red Wings staff page. And at first I thought it was a typo. You know, it said, Gene Wanamo, head groundskeeper. And then below that, Gino Wanamo, assistant um, groundskeeper. And at first I just thought Gene was listed twice. And I was like, wait, one says Gene, one says Gino. So I, in touch with the team, I was like, Are they father, son, they have to be related, right? And it's great. You know, Gene is in his 70s and Gino is, you know, quite a bit younger, uh, but this father-son groundskeeping duo. And I tried to write the article to kind of capture the father-son dynamic as much as possible, where they're sort of busting each other's chops, uh, insulting each other, but there's a real love and respect there at the end of it. When, you know, once you get through all the uh, insults and jokes and jabs that, you know, that's how men communicate a lot of the time um, and how they show their love. And uh, I tried to just write the article like that to, uh, you know, to show how they communicate and the dynamic they have uh, working. uh, at Rochester's Frontier Field. His father-son groundskeeping duo, you have Maury Silver as the team's director of communications, and he's the grandson of the same Maury Silver who used to own the team, um, who, <clears throat> who saved the team decades ago, <clears throat> excuse me, by selling shares. Uh, I believe it was something like 8,433 shares of the team in the community. 
So Maury Silver, like the team, you know, one of the the uh, streets that borders Frontier Field is like Maury Silver Way or Maury Silver Avenue. So now you have Maury Silver, the grandson, working with the team. General Manager Dan Mason has a son Cam working in like a baseball ops role at the ballpark right now. Um, the organist Fred Costello, who's been there 47 years. Um, his wife, Kathy, has been the uh, nighttime receptionist for almost as long, uh, and so on and so forth. There's just a ton of family connections in, uh, in Rochester, and I think I'll write a little bit more about that down the line. But uh, to start with, Gene and Gino, a couple characters uh, on the grounds crew, and you can check out that story as well. So find all the good stuff from Benjamin Hill at MILB.com. And of course, you can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben's Biz, on Instagram at the Bez, Ben's Biz, the Ben's Biz. And uh, I swear, I only have a mildly jet lag brain. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. I just hit the uh, mute button just in time to cough and then got right back on to say thank you. And I don't think that's what you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to let these things go unspoken and just be a professional. <laughs> Sometimes you do have to feel like a little proud of it, though. Like, ah, I got it. I got it covered up. And now I want you all to know that I did it well. I get it. Exactly. Because how else you can get the credit? <laughs> show before the show continues next. Well, for this interview segment on the show before the show podcast, we wanted to bring in somebody who had been at a big baseball event over the last week at the World Baseball Classic Qualifiers in Germany, in which Great Britain and the Czech Republic both qualified for the 2023 World Baseball Classic, a big event filled with top prospects. Um, We figured we'd bring somebody on the show to talk about it, tell us what they saw, tell us what European baseball was like. And then we remembered that we have that guy on the show anyways. So we're going to bring in the lead broadcaster for the World Baseball Classic Qualifiers in the English language, our own Tyler Mon. Tyler, welcome to your own show. Guys, thanks for having me. It's so good yeah. to be here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, obviously, we talked about this in the last segment. You've been over in Germany for the last week broadcasting the games alongside Ryan Roland Smith. Um, big qualifiers, big names that were included there. But just kind of take us through the experience to begin with. I mean, it, it's so cool to to be involved with the WBC in any capacity because it is a very awesome event. But to be there for the qualifiers in which nothing is promised to any of these teams, to any of these countries, and you have some non-traditional baseball countries competing for a spot on a world stage like this, and the fact that it was Great Britain, which we know is a soccer country, a football country, and the Czech Republic, which might be more of a hockey country, I guess, both clinching their opportunities here. It seemed really cool from afar, but what was it like on the ground? It was maybe the best event that I have ever been involved in uh, in my career. And a big congratulations to both of those teams. Uh, Great Britain and the Czech Republic each going to be making their first uh, full-fledged World Baseball Classic appearances. They had not qualified uh, for the full tournament as of yet. Um, And I think that's a huge next step for the WBC, seeing these new countries make their way through uh, the qualifiers. And um, the, the host venue was absolutely amazing uh, for anybody who got a chance to to watch and uh, tune into the broadcast. First of all, uh, my voice is a lot better, as I'm sure you can tell. Second of all, uh, you could probably glean from watching those broadcasts just how cool that venue was. Um, Armin Wolf Baseball Arena in Regensburg, Germany, which is the home to Legionnaire Regensburg, the uh, the Bundesliga team, and that is the name of the baseball league as well, uh, the Bundesliga team in Germany. Um, they just have this incredible little 
emerald of a ballpark, uh, an hour and a half northeast or so of of Munich. And it was a full-fledged big league feeling event. And uh, the storylines were outstanding. I mean, we had a, you know, a South Africa team there that really had a lot of challenges uh, over its training process. They'd been dealing with load shedding on the the electrical grid back home in South Africa. So they couldn't practice at night uh, because their ballpark, their practice facility didn't have any lights because the uh, the electricity was cut over their their travel or over their uh, their training periods. Um, you know, the the squad that we saw there from uh I don't want to touch on the teams that made it through to the the last days first. So we'll go through some of the the early eliminated teams. Um, France was there with Bruce Bochy as their manager. And uh, we got a chance to spend 30 minutes in in Bruce Bochy's office and talk with him about French baseball and about his experience and why he wanted to be part of this, um, which was incredible in itself. And there's a lot of really good talent on that French team, too. They ended up not winning a game. Uh, but they're a pretty talented team. They were a surprisingly um, just very fundamentally sound team, which was really cool. Germany, the host nation, you know, they were obviously very disappointed. They were unable to make it through. They ended up getting bounced uh, relatively early as well. But uh, there is a really good foundation for German baseball. And uh, and obviously they've got the facility to continue to host world class events. And they knocked it out of the park with that. But the three teams that really made the most headlines and, you know, prospects and non-prospects alike uh, were at the forefront of this whole competition were Great Britain, Spain, and the Czech Republic. And for two of those teams, it really was all about the prospects. Um, for Great Britain, it was Harry Ford, the top prospect in the Mariner system, which there were stories when Harry Ford got on the uh, the Great Britain roster, I think the question was like, wait, what is the connection there? And then learning that Harry Ford's uh, dad still lives in London. His dad and his, uh, I believe, 87-year-old grandmother, uh, they were both in attendance at the games. Harry Ford's had a lot of connections to to Great Britain over uh, his time you know, I say as a kid, he's still only 19, so he's still a kid. Uh, but Harry Ford was a force uh, for Great Britain out of the leadoff spot. Man, he was so much fun to watch. Uh, on the Spain side, it was Noel V. Marte, used to be his organizational teammate with the Seattle Mariners, and of course was traded to Cincinnati as part of that Luis Castillo deal at the trade deadline this year. Marte similarly was a monster at the plate for his team um, and certainly is one of those guys who you look at and go, oh, okay, I get why he's you know the number 18 prospect in baseball. He just has the, the build, the acumen, the athleticism that you expect uh, in a top 20 prospect. And then there was this scrappy little Czech team of uh, an entirely homegrown roster with the exception of one player who was born in New York but has lived in the Czech Republic for almost a decade now. Every single player on that team has come through Czech baseball development. There are a lot of formerly affiliated players there. Uh, Martin Chervenka is probably the most uh, remembered name by fans who follow this podcast. He was a longtime minor league catcher uh, with the Baltimore Orioles and the New York Mets. Um, Wojtek Menchik was the, the leadoff hitter and the spark plug, the shortstop, uh, who was briefly with the Angels. He was released this year, um, but formerly with NC State. He was on a College World Series team. But that's a, a group that was comprised to get to this qualifier and try to make it through to the WBC. And when we started uh, the event last Friday, Ryan Roland Smith, my my color analyst, uh, and former Mariner, former Team Australia pitcher, he said, "All right, who's your team in this? Who do you think is going to make it through?" And my answer was the Czech Republic. And the Czechs went out their first day and they got crushed. They lost twenty-one to seven to Spain. They were down nineteen going to the bottom of the fifth. It was twenty-one-two, and I thought, man, maybe this team 
is not what I thought this team was going to be. They dropped down to the loser's bracket, and they just fought their way through. And we talked, their manager is among the most uh, infectious human beings that I've ever come across, Pavel Hadim. Uh, and we talked to him before the last game, and he said, every game for us has been like this. And he held his finger to his throat. He said, every game has felt like we've had a knife to our throats since we lost that opener. Because there's no room for error when you go to the loser's bracket. And they had to do it the hard way, and they did it. And, uh, you know, their stories are incredible. The The guy who started the last game for them, Martin Schneider, he's a fireman. Uh, he only pitched 19 innings in the Czech Extra League this year because he was kind of dealing with some injury issues. And um, he came out and pitched into the seventh. There's an 85-pitch limit in the World Baseball Classic for pitchers. He made it into the seventh. He went six and a third. Uh, he was incredible. Mikhail Kovala is their top reliever. He's 18 years old. Uh, he's committed to go to Georgia Tech. Um, you know, they've got guys on that roster who had to leave the celebration to drive home to the Czech Republic overnight because they had to work the next day. Their manager, Pavel Hadim, is like the leading neurologist in the Czech Republic. There was a tournament somebody told us about, uh, a previous tournament. It might have just been a European competition, Harlem Baseball Week or something like that. He couldn't go because he couldn't find anybody else to cover his neurological doctor appointments. He couldn't find anybody else uh, to see patients. They are just an incredible story, man. And uh, and the event was, it was unbelievable. It was really uh, just a, a joy to get to be a part of. Yeah, and, and I guess just picking up off that, what was it about that Czech team then? Uh, like part of me wonders, anything can happen right in this setup in which there's not seven game series, not five game series. It's it's one game series, which we're not used to really in baseball right. outside of like world or wild card rounds or like tiebreakers game 163, something like that. Um, so anything can happen in baseball in one game, but to have anything happen over and over and over like it did with this Czech team. How much is it just that they are, like you said, all homegrown? They probably all know each other much better than a Great Britain who, yeah. where guys are coming from all over the place. And it's a little, you know, not that they're any less prideful about playing for their right. country, but, you know, it's, it, some, there might be some, some more introductions on those teams. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. And it really was, especially going into that last day between the Czech Republic and Spain it was sort of the tale of two philosophies of how to build a WBC team. That Spain team had two Spanish born players on it. The Czech squad, everybody, but one was born in the Czech Republic and they, they've known each other forever. Like you said, most of these guys have played with each other uh, at various stops throughout, uh, you know, youth ball, getting into to club teams um, into the Czech extra league, whether it's, you know, through national teams or all of that, they've continued to come across each other. Uh, over their baseball lives. And it really was, it felt so much more like a brotherhood um, going into that Czech dugout uh, or being around their workouts. That was a team that felt like a family because they've been doing it together for so long. Um, and that was really pretty amazing. And, you know, Pavel Hadim, the, the manager, he said to us on the first day when we talked to him, he said, uh, we're a small country with big dreams. And I keep telling these guys that that's what they have to think of themselves as in order to be on the stage and compete. Because going against, yeah, like you said, Great Britain assembled really for, you know, it's not necessarily this term, but in in describing it in relation to the other terms, uh, the other teams, uh, in this qualifier, it was kind of an all-star team. They had 10 affiliated players um, and guys who, like you said, are no less prideful in representing the the place that they're representing, but do it from very different 
circumstances. Um, you know, whether it's the guys who grew up uh, in the islands, in the Bahamas, um, Anthony Seymour, who we talked to after a, a post-game press conference and Adam Jones was in that press conference and got into a lot of discussion about, you know, what is the next step for baseball in the Bahamas? How do we continue to grow baseball in places where, you know, traditionally it hasn't been a big deal and now it's starting to have a moment. Um, you know, Harry Ford being an ambassador, being a top prospect uh, who is doing amazing things already in his pro career, climbing in a really uh, exciting system and organization. Um, that was was one side of the coin. You know, Spain was the other side of the coin. They were largely um, a lot older guys from Venezuela or the Dominican Republic or Cuba, um, you know, who qualify via their heritage and, and having passports and all that type of stuff. Um, but just a vastly differently constructed roster uh, than what the Czech Republic had. So that was interesting because going into that final day, especially with the Czech team coming off a 21-7 loss uh, against Spain the first time out, um, you know, you really wondered like, okay, this Czech squad has made it here to the end, but do they have enough? We saw what they did against a team that was largely current or former affiliated guys, and they got they got waxed in that game. Are they going to have enough? And they went out and they showed it. And um, yeah, seeing the way those guys celebrated was amazing. I mean, that just felt like it meant so much more in terms of legitimizing what they are doing to build that national program uh, in the Czech Republic and that you couldn't help but feel your heart swell with the way those guys celebrated. And, um, you know, I posted this on Twitter the other day, the official uh, WBC account, this was probably 24 hours ago, but when they posted that the Czech team had won, the quote tweets of that original tweet were in at least seven different languages. And that's what the World Baseball Classic does. You know, you you start spreading these stories and the fact that Great Britain's in it for the first time. Uh, Jazz Chisholm has already said that he plans on playing for Great Britain, another uh, Bahamian guy who qualifies uh, through his uh, place of birth and, um, you know, obviously adds a huge name to that roster going forward. Uh, for the Czech team, there was a, a tweet from a, a sports news channel in the Czech Republic that said Czech baseball just shocked the world. And it really is kind of true. You know, I mean, the amount of people who commented on WBC things and said, I didn't even know they played baseball in the Czech Republic. Um, it does a lot to legitimize what those guys have been working their whole lives for. And that was really amazing to see. Well, all this talk of uh, the Czech Republic baseball team, I don't want them to be confused with the team I'm putting together of verified Twitter personalities. And that's the blue Czech Republic baseball team. Pretty good. That's, uh, I mean, I feel like there are a lot of, there's a lot of depth there. Sam's yeah. just shaking his head. <laughs> yeah. I do it for you, Sam. Anyway, Tyler, um, perhaps not surprisingly, you know, I, I want to get uh, maybe away from the actual baseball field slightly and, you know, just learn more about the experience. So you were in Germany, but you weren't just in Germany, you were in Regensburg, Germany. Um, so what, uh, let me see, How, did I pronounce that right? Okay. Regensburg. Regensburg. Yeah. Regensburg. Regensburg. <laughs> I like that so one. Noise. You were in Regensburg and um, I honestly, I'm not sure if prior to the WBC, I'd ever heard of Regensburg. Uh, what was the town like and what was the ballpark setting like? You know, the, the town was amazing. It, um, as so many places in Europe are, uh, you know, Germany is a place that has been largely reconstructed, especially over the last 
105 years or so. Um, but Regensburg is one place that somehow seems to have avoided um, some of the worst impacts of the, the wars in Europe in the, in the 20th century. So it is largely, especially the old town area, really medieval feeling, which is amazing. Um, my girlfriend, Beth came, uh, with us, uh, with me to the, to the tournament. We actually did a week, uh, just traveling around beforehand. And, um, on our one night off, we got a chance to walk around the downtown area. There is a, a bridge, an old medieval bridge that was constructed in like the 1100s. That bridge is coming up on a thousand years old. This country is not even 250 years old. And that, well, I guess as of last year, it was 250. Whatever, I'm not good at math. I'm a broadcaster. But that, you know, when you're standing on something that is four times older than the place that you come from, it just puts so many things into a different perspective uh, with how long that city has been around, how long people have been, um, you know, living their lives and, uh, and growing and finding love and dying and, um, being part of that community. And, and it was amazing. And I got a chance to talk with, uh, Toby Dietrich, who's the the broadcaster for the Legion of Regensburg team. Uh, and Toby said, we're really just a sports city. Um, men's and women's teams do very well there and a whole bunch of other sports. Uh, Regensburg is actually the home of, uh, Germany's baseball Academy, which did produce, Max Kepler, the uh, the most famous uh, German ball player, of course, now with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Max came through that academy, but there's a, a 30 person dormitory that the baseball club um, hosts players along with the ice hockey club which is located a short distance away. Um, and they just love their sports there. Uh, and the town was, was incredible. I mean, you walk on these old cobblestone streets or you see the, you know, the churches and the statues and, um, it's a type of place that makes you realize like, Oh, right. The world is so much bigger than the four walls. I find myself in at home. And it's moving in that way. Um, and it was, it was really cool. The, the passion, especially that the local fans had for the event, you know, I think, especially if you, if you look at the calendar of an event like this and you see, okay, game one is on a Friday afternoon and it's Spain versus South Africa. So it's two non-local teams that probably won't have a huge fan base traveling. I think we got and ballpark capacity for that place is only a couple of thousand. I think with standing room it maybe maxes out just over 3000, uh, but seats are only a couple of thousand. I think we got 900 some for that game. That was the lowest attended game uh, of the week. Uh, we were over 2000 for one of the Germany games had Germany advanced and been playing to make it into the classic. I think we would have had even more, uh, but it was great. I mean, the, the town was great. The food was amazing. I've eaten a lot of pork uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, especially last week in Germany and uh, German mustard, man, like the sweet mustard that they have there. Uh, incredible. I'm a big fan. I haven't eaten a leafy green vegetable in like a month, basically. It's very healthy. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I think you should do anything you want all the time with no restrictions <laughs> whatsoever. And no and repercussions. Yeah. I mean, what does it really matter? It doesn't. Um, it doesn't. Exactly. Well, speaking of food, um, you know, in terms of, uh, I know you're in the broadcast booth and, you know, don't get to be there in the stands with the fans, but um, just all the things we associate with baseball, um, you know, the food and the hot dogs, um, mascots, uh, you know, walk-up music or between-inning music, you know, fans, the way they respond, the way they chant. Uh, what what were unique in ballpark elements uh, to the WBC that maybe were, 
you know, stood out to you or, you know, were distinctly different from a, you know, traditional or stereotypical uh, United States ballpark experience? Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's, uh, it kind of felt almost like a hybrid between sort of the U.S. model and the Latin American model where there was, uh, you know, the, the, some staid elements of game presentation that you would find at a major league game. But there was also a lot of like start of an at bat, they would play a song at the start of every pitch, they'd fade the song out. And when the pitch was done, they'd fade the song back up. So the music was constantly going. Fans were constantly into it. Um, the the public address announcer, a guy named Joe, was incredible. And Joe, uh, the second to last day of the tournament, and like I said, if anybody uh, got a chance to watch, you uh, noticed that my voice gave out on me after uh, 10 days of doubleheaders for the U15 World Cup in Mexico a few weeks ago, and then six days of doubleheaders in Germany. Uh, Joe came in the second to last day and said, I heard your voice is broken. And I said, yes, it is, Joe. Thank you. And he gave me these. Uh, he said, I have a very good friend. He's an opera singer. And he gave me these lozenges for you. He said they'll help your voice. And he was right. They did. Um, but Joe being on the mic, he would give almost like some commentary or some uh, explanatory things during the game. So, for example, when the infield fly rule would go into effect, Joe would point out what had been called. So fans who were not familiar with it would understand why, you know, X had happened in a certain play. Um, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, the ballpark food was amazing. There is a restaurant at the ballpark that's actually open outside of, you know, game hours. It's kind of a fully functioning restaurant, um, but it's in the stadium. Um, and the food there was really neat. But outside of that was all more like local vendors. There was a, a vendor that was like a crepery, uh, but also sold you know, like those roasted German holiday nuts. So like almonds and uh, cashews and things, you know, sprinkled with cinnamon sugar and roasted. And the smell of that was unbelievable. Um, you know, stands that were selling sausages and burgers and um, big German steins of beer. Uh, and, and the fans, man, I mean, that's what it comes back to with these international events for me always. The fans were so incredible. And the thing that I loved most was seeing fans showing up repping their local club. So whether it was, you know, the Heidekopf team uh, from Heidenheim, uh, who they call the Heideheads because the fan, the supporters group, their thing is they print out big cardboard cutouts of their players' heads and they hold them up during the games. Um, you know, those folks were there. People with their, you know, Berlin Flamingos gear. Uh, there were a few mascots there. France brought a mascot. Uh, France had uh, their rooster. He wandered around. Even after France got eliminated, he was still there. Big ups to the rooster for hanging around. Uh, Germany had a fox, which walked around with a free hug sign, which was like a little creepy. Um, but the fox was cool. Uh, the The whole experience was just, if you were somebody who had never gone to a baseball game, and you saw the billboards in town for the classic and you thought, maybe we should go check this thing out. I think it made fans instantly. Um, and their embrace of the event was just so uh, full-throated. Um, it was it was really pretty incredible. The ballpark experience, the game presentation experience. There weren't you know on-field contests and those sorts of things like we're used to in minor league games. Um, but they kept people engaged throughout. And, uh, and it was really amazing that way. Cause you often kind of wonder well, what is that going to be like when you go to a different place, they did a fantastic job with it. Yeah. I wonder how much of that music thing that you're talking about, the fading in and fading out, I wonder how much that could be reproduced here. Right. Um, especially in affiliated ball or anywhere, you know, yeah. indie ball, high school, college, whatever. I'm a little fascinated by 
how that works and how reproducible it is. Um, all right. So before we wrap this up, and I want to touch on one other thing quick before we do that, but before we get off of your time in Germany, Great Britain, uh, Czech Republic have officially qualified. Do they have a chance? Not not to win the whole thing, but to surprise some folks in the main tournament that's coming up uh, after the turn of the year. Very valid question. Um, I think what we don't know right now is which pool they are headed to. So this is the largest World Baseball Classic pool uh, of any WBC yet. It's in the past been 16 teams. It's now going to be 20 teams. So two teams qualified uh, from Regensburg. Two teams will qualify from Panama City coming up next week. I'm actually leaving on Tuesday for that. And we'll start on September 30th for those games uh, and six teams there. Panama, uh, Pakistan, Argentina, Nicaragua. Uh, I knew I was going to do this and I was going to forget the other ones. Uh, I, I have them up here. So it's Panama, Nicaragua, Brazil, Argentina, Pakistan, and New Zealand. Brazil and New Zealand are the ones I forgot. I'm sorry, Brazil and New Zealand. Brazil is actually an interesting story, too, because uh, from what we've heard, so Barry Larkin was originally supposed to be the manager of that Brazil team. He no longer is. Steve Finley uh, is the manager. But apparently it's because Barry Larkin is like trying to get a, le- a league started uh, in Brazil, which is really cool. He's so invested in the game in Brazil now, um, which is pretty awesome. And New Zealand, I feel bad because uh, I've, I've got a, a little buddy uh, who's going to be on that squad, a guy who I've known throughout his baseball career. But anyway, uh, so two teams will qualify from there as well. Of the four qualifying teams, they will each be placed into one of the pools to start the Classic. But we don't know which team is going where as of yet. So I think it likely depends on that. Um, for Great Britain, there's a lot of talent on that team. You add Jazz, Jazz Chisholm, you potentially can add some other guys. Um, there is a lot that remains to shake out with that roster, and I think they're going to be really competitive. Um, the Czech Republic team, you know, if they go um, potentially to a, a spot, I believe Taijung in Taiwan is where um, Italy will be, for example. You go against a, a squad that you know really well, from competition in Europe. Yeah. I think there's a, a potential there that you could spring a victory and, and really put yourselves on the map. Um, but if you throw that team into, you know, the, the Tokyo pool or the, the Miami pool, where you've got the DR Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Israel, which was an Olympic team last year, um, that could be a little bit of a challenge, but the cool thing is it's like March madness, man. You know, I mean, you go out, anything can happen on any given night. And, uh, it's that's what I love about the classic so much is the fact that you have these stories that continue to surprise you and continue to just make you realize why you love sports and why you love this game. And uh, in March, these teams are going to have a, a whole heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think just getting on that stage, as we saw, I mean, the celebrations that both teams had after just qualifying were indicative of yeah. what a big a moment it was for the, both of those baseballing nations. Um, all right, Tyler, you, before we let you go real quick, you mentioned you will be going to Panama City uh, very quickly, very quick yeah. turnaround for you early next week uh, for the Pool B qualifiers between Panama, Nicaragua, Brazil, Argentina, Pakistan, and New Zealand, as we just mentioned. Um, anything you're looking forward to in particular out of those six teams, anybody you know who's specifically going to be competing, not necessarily like a Harry Ford or – or no LB Marte, but anybody uh, folks should follow. You know, that's uh, that group of teams is going to be really interesting because 
there's a lot more unknown, I think, from, uh, you know, especially from the Pakistan side. I know that's going to be a team that's comprised of um, some older guys, some younger guys, I think still some current college ball players, um, you know, guys with with roots in very different baseball backgrounds than just the classic like, oh, we threw out, you know, 25 affiliated players uh, or former affiliated players and, and we'll roll with those guys. Pakistan's going to be fascinating. Brazil to see the progress that they've made um, from qualification, you know, in, in past uh, WBC qualifying events uh, to 2022, the growth of, of baseball in Brazil has been substantial. So seeing them will be really cool. New Zealand, New Zealand's national teams have not really gotten to play much in recent years on the baseball side. Same with Australia, because their COVID restrictions have been so substantial. They haven't been able to travel and take part in, in international events for the most part. So seeing what that group is going to be like will be really interesting. Um, I'm very excited to see Panama, the host nation, uh, and what they put together as a as a roster. Uh, Estadio Rod Carew, which will host the event in Panama City. They've done a ton of renovation work uh, to Rod Carew Stadium, and so that's uh, really exciting uh, for those fans and for Panamanian baseball. Um, you know, it's going to be fun, man. I'm, I'm really excited. Argentina is kind of a surprise story. Uh, they had been lobbying to be included in this. Argentina's had a ton of success, uh, in international softball in recent years, um, including winning a, a men's world cup championship. Um, but in baseball still kind of a, a burgeoning nation there. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see the sort of roster that they have. And if they have any converted softballers from how successful they've been, uh, in that sport, you know, Nicaragua is a really talented group. They are a squad that I think, you know, you look at the amount of talent that Nicaragua baseball has produced and you would be surprised, uh, as to like, Oh, I know that guy. Oh, I know that guy. Um, so there's, there are good storylines for every team in the, in the Panama qualifier and really excited to, to get to talk about those with a fully functioning voice by next week. Yeah. After we wrap up this podcast, which we will do very shortly um, rest. I'll go back rest to vocal for, cord rest. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, Tyler Mon, thank you so much for joining us on the show before the show podcast, as you literally do every week. This is <laughs> not that different, but it is a little different. Uh, we wanted to celebrate your time in the World Baseball Qual Classic qualifiers with more to come next week. Um, so thanks again for, for doing this. I'm glad Germany was such a great success and hopefully Panama will be as well. Well, thanks, dudes. I appreciate you having me on this uh, this plucky little show of yours. Um, and you can follow, uh, by the way, at worldbaseballclassic.com. Uh, roster announcements, all that stuff will be coming soon. Uh, you can watch the broadcasts uh, at MLB.com, worldbaseballclassic.com, uh, Facebook, YouTube, uh, all kinds of places you can follow the broadcast. And these ones will be at a little bit more normal time because we'll be on Central Time uh, in Panama City, I believe. So you can tune in to all of them. Get in touch. Yeah. So no excuses, people. Uh, follow, follow Tyler and his adventures in Panama next week. Uh, we'll be right back after the break with, well, me and Tyler talking about <laughs> more on-field baseball action from the Miners and the Arizona Fall Big thanks to Tyler Mond for joining us in this week's episode of the show. The show. <laughs> I just had to throw that out at you. And we um, should have we should have coordinated in that. I should have done that, but also I love that so much. So no, it, it stays. It's staying in. 
Oh, man. Well, let's keep rolling. Let's talk about some on-field stuff as the minor league baseball season gets closer to its culmination here by the uh, end of the month of September. Um, We have Arizona Fall League rosters to discuss. The AFL squads are here. They were announced actually a week ago, pretty much right after we recorded. We got uh, our first look at the 2022 AFL 16 top 100 members uh, will be on various teams across the fall league led by number six overall prospect in baseball, St. Louis Cardinals outfielder, Jordan Walker. Uh, Some other interesting names that are on the list. Noel V. Marte, who just played for Spain in the world baseball classic qualifier, Henry Davis, the pirates catching prospect, Jason Dominguez from the Yankees organization will be there. Um, Brennan Davis, who famously was my, uh, my sleeper pick for the national league rookie of the year this year. That didn't quite work out. Um, Tink Hentz, will be taking part. Nick Gonzalez will be taking part. Um, Sam, give us your first impressions of the AFL announcements and uh, who sticks out on these rosters. Yeah, I mean, it, it was funny combing through the AFL stuff over the last week since we got the rosters last Friday because I dipped back into the history of who has played in the Arizona Fall League. And I know we say this every year of just how loaded a league that is year in and year out, but it's insane, the alumni list. I mean, you look at who's big in baseball right now. Aaron Judge played in the Arizona Fall League. Mike Trout played in the Arizona Fall League. Bryce Harper played in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, Sandy Alcantara played in the Arizona Fall League. Like guys who are on the big stage right now came through the AFL. And, and a big reason for that being, we always refer to the Fall League as a kind of prospect finishing school. It's where you get sent for six weeks, you face other big talents in a hyper concentrated format. Um, You're not necessarily playing every day just because every roster is so loaded, um, but you're getting to extend your season a little bit. You're not playing against guys who are on your level necessarily. Some are coming from AAA. Some, like Jackson Merrill or Tink Hentz, are coming from single A. Um, But all of these guys are talented. And you mentioned, you know, the 16 top 100 prospects we have going here. Jordan Walker is the highest ranked uh, on MLB Pipeline's list. He comes in at number six overall. Something to watch with him. He tore up double A this year at a very young age. He was only 19 at the start of the year when he got sent to double A. Spent all season at Springfield, hit above 300, continued to show power. But at the end of the year, the Cardinals started moving him from third base to the outfield. And they played him at all three outfield spots. Now that work is going to continue in the AFL. It's not just about getting him more at-bats because he had plenty. It's about getting more exposure to the grass, seeing the three outfield spots, seeing where he fits best. Is he going to be okay and right? Does he have enough arm for that? I think he could handle it. Um, Could he even be somewhat of a center fielder? I I think sometimes his athleticism is a little bit underrated. Uh, I don't think he has enough speed to stick in center field full time. But, hey, they used to say that about Aaron Judge, too, and he got a lot of looks in center in the major leagues. Said it Um, about Julio Rodriguez. They said it about Julio Rodriguez. Now, I think – Walker is a step behind both of those guys, but it doesn't hurt to get exposure to center field in the fall league. So I'm going to be keeping close eye on that. The second highest ranked guy we have is number 13 overall, Jordan Lawler, uh, who this will be his fifth team that he played for in 2022. He played at single A, played at high A, played at double A. He had a short rehab stint in the Arizona Complex League. Now he's finishing out the year in the AFL. And I'm always fascinated by D-backs prospects who go to the Fall League because they're playing in what will be their backyard someday if all goes well, if Jordan Lawler isn't traded or you know if his 
development doesn't go sideways. But the fact that he's constantly been challenged by the D-backs, they did this with Corbin Carroll previously. Now he's a major leaguer, um, you know, probably the favorite to win the NL Rookie of the Year next year. Uh, how is Lawler going to respond to that? He has all five tools. Maybe the biggest question mark might be his arm, but the hit tool is played, the power is played, the speed has been good. Uh, so now getting an, another opportunity for him to show that off in Arizona, which is where he wants to be long-term, I'm going to be really fascinated by. Uh, you mentioned Brandon Davis. I love that storyline because he's coming back from a back injury. He definitely needs the at-bats, but he's also going back home. He is from the Phoenix metropolitan area. Um, so that's got to be a little extra boost for him. You know he's going to be showing up feeling comfortable. It's a little bit like Spencer Torkelson last year. Spencer Torkelson played in the Arizona or played in the Arizona State system, I guess. He played for Arizona State, that's what I mean to say. Um, so him going to the fall league just felt very natural. It ended shortly because he had a uh, an injury that ended his AFL campaign pretty early. But Brennan Davis spending six weeks in the desert, I think, is going to be a big boost for him, somebody who has his eye on making the majors next year. And I'll just end it with this one because you mentioned him as well, Tyler. Jason Dominguez from the Yankee system. Evaluations on Dominguez have been all over the place the last two years. I think last year there were some people saying he's maxed out physically. Like he's a pretty decent player right now for a single A, which is what he played last year. He never played in the complexes or on the complex league circuits anyway. Um, you know, but he's maxed out. He's not going to add much more power. He's probably going to slow down because there's not an obvious way for him to add speed. And this year he re repeated the level, but seemed to get better as the year went on. It kind of became clear that all Jason Dominguez needed was experience. He just needed time. He needed experience coming out of the Dominican like he did, and especially when he did, because the pandemic ruined a potential year of development for him. He's been young everywhere he's played. Now he's going to get even more experience, finished out the year at double A. Uh, and he's still continuing to do that. Somerset's in the Eastern League Championship Series against Erie, like Ben mentioned earlier. Uh, but this is such a big opportunity for him and, and somebody who has been so well hyped for a while. And then I think people were disappointed when he didn't meet that hype. And now he's on the way back. It's just going to be a fascinating time for Jason Dominguez. So we're going to be keeping a close eye to see how all five of his tools now face or now play in an environment that typically is pretty hitter friendly anyway. So. Those are the big names in the AFL. Strike two this week. Who's going to be the surprise in the AFL? We have seen some prospects put themselves on the map with really, really good Arizona Fall League seasons. And yes, sometimes it's limited sample size and sometimes it's short season and blah, blah, blah. Um, but the AFL provides you an opportunity to go up against the best of the best. Sam, if there is somebody who maybe is a little bit under the radar, but you think has the opportunity to sort of go off in the AFL uh, and grab some eyeballs, who is it? Yeah, I, I like the way you put that in terms of just a little under the radar because that's my pick is the number six prospect in the Arizona Diamondback system. Again, fascinated by guys who go to Arizona anyway. But my pick is Davison De Los Santos, uh, who is the second highest ranked D-backs prospect going to the fall league this year. Only 19 years old, was 18 at the beginning of the year when he was at uh, single A Visalia. He played at three levels himself this year, finished out the year at double A Amarillo. I remember talking to some folks earlier in the spring about De Los Santos and them saying like, it's 80 raw power. It's, it's insane what he can already do in terms of his strength at his age. And he continued to show it this year. Didn't necessarily 
really pop in terms of numbers. I mean, it's not like he had an OPS in the thousands. He slugged 499 across three levels, which is great for being that young, but it's not quite like, oh my gosh, look at this guy's power numbers. He hit 22 homers in 126 games. But the underlying data, the exit velocity, all of it is there for him to really pop out. He just needs the opportunity. And I think the fall league is perfect for him in that way, in that he could hit some home runs that I think are going to rival anybody else's. Jordan Walker's, you name it. Um, some of the best power hitters in in this year's fall league. Henry Davis, the number one overall pick. And if Dale Santos can put together six good weeks for having such limited experience that he does at the upper levels, uh, I think he's already kind of on the cusp of the top 100, but a strong fall league could push him over the edge by the time we do our 2023 update. Or it could make him even closer to the edge and somebody who, by the time he moves back to double A next year, again, when he'll only be 19 years old at the start of the season, he could be right on that cusp again and give him a lot of momentum in a time that I think this is the most exciting the D-back system has been in, in quite some some time. So finding somebody else who isn't a Jordan Lawler, who isn't a Corbin Carroll, who isn't a Drew Jones, all very toolsy players, to have this guy who's very squarely, here's your job, hit in the middle of the lineup, be a big bopper, to send these really fast guys moving around the bases. That would be huge for the Arizona system. They already have him. He's already really good. The fall week could take him to that next level. So our final topic for this week's episode of the show before the show, minor league playoffs continue wrapping up at some levels, still rolling along at others. The triple a triple championship is coming up in Las Vegas. Sam, give us the, the breakdown. I have been uh, focusing on other baseball things and I was like, all right, playoffs uh, are, are almost done now. Yeah. I mean, they are done at, at the single a and high a levels. We should shout out the winners of all these leagues here real quick, being a minor league podcast. Uh, the St. Lucie Mets are the champions of the Florida state league. The Charleston river dogs are the champions of the Carolina league. Lake Elsinore took the California league crown. Um, in the Northwest league, Eugene swept Vancouver three, nothing bowling green defeated Aberdeen in the South Atlantic league and South bend captured the Midwest league double uh, a, all those leagues right now are just about to go to their championship series. We mentioned Erie and Somerset are playing in the Eastern League, Wichita and Frisco in the Texas League. And then the AAA championship coming next week uh, in Las Vegas. Two best teams from the International League will play one game. Two best teams from the Pacific Coast League will play another game. Winner of those two will face off in the AAA national championship. Something we've had for a few years now. Didn't have it last year. It'd be great to have it on site in Vegas uh, coming next week. We'll have Kelsey Hennigan will be on on site for that, along with some other MILB folks. So looking forward to hearing how that goes once we know the teams for that. Uh, but I just want to shout out real quick. I mentioned some of those teams that won. The Rays had two full season affiliates so far win championships. We keep talking about this with the Tampa Bay Rays system, how loaded they are, how it feels like they reload every year, how successful they are as clubs uh, at every stop. Charleston, single-A title again. Bowling Green, high-A title again. Montgomery is in the double-A playoffs right now. You look at what the uh, the standings are right now in the International League, and it looks like Durham could be going to Las Vegas. Now, as we're sitting here right now, they have a game-and-a-half lead over Scranton-Wilkes-Barre in the East Division for the International League. Nothing's set yet. Some crazy stuff could happen over the next week. But you could be talking about all four full-season affiliates for the Rays heading to their respective postseasons. Two of them already have championships. I believe the Florida Coast League 
team also won a championship. It's not a full season, but again, what the Rays are doing, they're just establishing this base layer of success that by the time you get to St. Pete, you know what it's like to win. That that's no small thing. You know, obviously we all we all want to see guys improve individually and individual development is still kind of the number one thing when it comes to the minor leagues. But if you're used to winning, you're going to play winning baseball by the time you get to the majors. Uh, you know, it hasn't quite resulted in a World Series title yet, but you have to be excited if you're a Rays fan, knowing that a guy like Kyle Manzardo, knowing that Jonathan Aranda, who's now on the team, uh, the major league club knows what it's like to win at the lower levels. This is big for all these stops. A guy like Carson Williams getting that started now with Charleston is huge. So um seems like the Rays continue to do this. It's not easy to do as easy as they make it look, uh, but it's just been incredible what's happened to that organization once again in 2022. And that is that for three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. Our good pal Josh Jackson stops by here momentarily. Josh has become uh, Mr. Autumn Man, from, which is ordinarily Sam's duty, uh, from the the Onion piece from uh, several years back. But Josh, the other day, he, texted, he was like, you know, it's just it's turned perfectly fall here. And he's texting me about this coat that he's got that he loves now that he hasn't worn in a long time. He's sending me pictures of Callie, his dog, out in the you know, the spreading orange and yellow leaves. I love it. He's so happy. I mean, I got to say, Josh has a head start on me in the, the autumn man race. True. Living much more. more he does uh, look much farther north. Much farther north. Yeah. So give me some time to catch up. I okay. Will, All right. We'll get there. I'm That's wearing good. a hoodie today. So we're getting there. Yeah, that is true. Um, Josh Jackson, Mr. Autumn Man himself, stops by for Ghost of the Miners. We're back to wrap it up on the other side. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair one was short-lived but real the others weren't real, and there's no telling how long they've been around. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Vermilion Hip Hoorahs. B. The Orange Hoo Hoos. C. The Blue Hill Yip Chippers. Orange, you glad you picked B. The Orange Hoo Hoos? No, I haven't transformed into a citrus-obsessed owl. <laughs> the Orange Hoo-Hoos represented a Texas town nicknamed the Fruit City on the Louisiana border just about due east of Beaumont in the Gulf Coast League of 1907 and 1908. In addition to its reputation for producing produce, Orange had no fewer than 15 sawmills in the late 19th century. One explanation for the Hoo Hoo's moniker holds that it's from these sawmills that the baseball club took its name. The International Concatenated Order of the Hoo Hoo's, a fraternal organization of lumbermen, was founded some 270 miles north-northwest 
in Gordon, Arkansas, and held its first big concatenation, that is, meeting, some 220 miles east-southeast in New Orleans. Another account holds that the hoo-hoo's horrible start to the 1907 season inspired Orange fans to viciously and unremittingly hoo at their players. The two explanations for the name aren't mutually exclusive, of course, and who's to say who the hoo-hoo's came to be called anything other than humiliating? <laughs> In the season of 07, they went through three managers only to go 50 and 65 and finish 21 and a half games behind first place Lake Charles. The first of those managers was Tim Cook, but don't compare Orange's Tim Cook with Apple. The hoo-hoo's Cook could replace no jobs. He couldn't even hold his own giving way to Roland Vitter, who turned the Orange Club over to, again, leave Apple out of it, Mac McDonald. On May 20th of that inaugural 07 campaign, who might have been on first, but he sure as heck didn't get to home plate. The Hoo-Hoo's played 17 scoreless innings against eventual champion Lake Charles before the game was called because of darkness, prompting some discussion in the press over whether or not a 17-inning 0-0 game was some kind of record. It wasn't, the Houston Post declared, but declined to state what the record was. In any event, no one could accuse either side of juicing that day, and chances are Orange had old A.H. Richardson on the mound for that game, as he went 9-1 that year. Promising, or not, as the hoo-hoos were, the entirety of that first iteration of the Gulf Coast League folded in June of 08, leaving Orange with a bittersweet feeling as its club peeled out to a 15-14 and 14 start before it felt the squeeze with the rest of the Citrus. I mean, circuit. <laughs> and that's how the hoo-hoo's heard enough. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these clubs was ready for cyberspace way back when? A. The Everett Ebays. B. The Bremerton Browsers. C. The Lincoln Links. Want to know the answer? Get clicking. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is taking up taxidermy, and he's already bored stiff. <laughs> We have gabbed for uh, quite a bit today on this uh, week's episode of the show before the show podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, as we have done so. We've had a whole pile of fun as always. You can find all of us on social media at Sam Dykstra MILB, at Josh Jackson MILB, at Ben's Biz, and at Tyler Mon. And uh, keep watching the minor league playoffs. We've still got uh, a few champions to crown. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I want to issue a slight correction to what I said last time. The Rays lost in the Florida Complex League okay. Championship. But they still made it. But still, they made it, right. They still made it. Unbelievable. So that's that's an accomplishment on its own. Um, but yeah, wanted to correct the record on that. Sorry to the FCL Yankees. I did not mean to take a title away from you. Uh, but still, yeah, so many champions still the crown. A lot of games still on MILB TV, all of which means something. And as well, World Baseball classic qualifiers next week on mlb.com yeah so much baseball to stream We're even ready. as we turn here towards autumn getting ready baby uh so big thanks to uh to all you guys for tuning in and uh for sam dykstra my name is tyler mom we'll talk to you next week from panama see you then